Welcome back to the Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar, so let's start with a prayer. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who by the power of the Holy Ghost was conceived, born of the Virgin Mary, raised, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day he arose again from the dead, and he ascended unto heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us. St. Joseph, pray for us. Holy Apostles and Saints, pray for us. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our reading is going to be from St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18, starting from verse 1, going all the way down to verse 9. At the time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be thrown into the depths of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is, for it is necessary that temptations come. But woe to the man by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life maimed or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, plug it out and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. The Gospel of the Lord prays to you, Lord Jesus Christ. This particular passage, uh, I think, is something that we all should meditate on. The fact that, one, the first part was that the apostles wanted to know who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus attacks that narcissism, that ego, that selfishness, that vanity by bringing a little child, a kid, in their midst and tells them you have to be, to enter heaven, you got to be as humble like this little child. This is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, to be like a child, to be humble and trustworthy because children trust their parents. Un you know, they have no choice. They have to trust they have no capacity to do anything on their own. You know, you see how a child sometimes 
grabs hold of the hand of their father or their mother or their grandparent. You know, or sometimes when the child feels frightened, they reach out by instinct and grab hold of their of their uh, parent or their older brother or sister. That to Jesus was the only way. That's that's the only way we can enter heaven, by complete humility of becoming a child. But men become vain. They want to be rewarded. Human beings want to be rewarded. They want a position. They want. They need to see some result for their sacrifice. Instead, just complete love. You know, if you ever noticed how sometimes a kid could be maybe with a toy or a piece of fruit... And they sometimes will hold it out to you as though they want to share it with you or something. In their minds, that's not how these men think. I'm not trying to blast the apostles, but this was the beginning. This was during the early days of their of their training. And, you know, you always get somebody or someone and usually it becomes like an infection. They They think they should be rewarded. They think for their hard work and their effort and their sacrifice. If you remember when Jesus um, blasted or not, you know, used the example of the rich young ruler, how uh, good master, how can I, you know, gain eternal life? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? Only God is good. And then he tells him, of course, you know, what is written in the law, what is written in the in the prophets, honor thy father and thy mother, you know, things like that. And then he told him that he have to give up everything you have. And he walked away saddened because he had much wealth. And then Jesus said how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the apostles were amazed because in that world, material wealth was looked on as a blessing. So it's not, we're not far behind in our own culture because we often view wealth. We think that a person who's rich and a person who has many lands or a person who has much property or a big giant bank account, a billionaire or a trillionaire, obviously must be favored by heaven or God. But wealth is often a test. People often don't see this in the Bible. They see only the outward sign of wealth, but none of us look at what, why God makes this person rich. It is actually a test, a test, uh, a serious test. Will this person let his wealth get in the way with his relationship with God? Will it get in his way? Because notice what Jesus said how difficult it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. He gave you the answer right there. And the problem was, is that for, for us, it's impossible because then nobody can make it to heaven. But that's not the point. You can't take your wealth with you. Your wealth can't stop you from dying. 
and your wealth cannot save you. Wealth is a test by God to see what you're going to do with it. How are you going to use it? And it's very difficult because often when people are rich, they don't want to look at anybody else because they don't want to be reminded. It's often like their wealth becomes, it does become an obstacle. It becomes an obstacle between you and people because obviously everybody wants what you have. And you you really have very little friends. You have very few friends. The people who work for you are only working for you because they have to work. And often you're going to, you know, and your family members become an obstacle to you. And your relationships, your intimate relationships become an obstacle to you because of your wealth. In many cases, I think probably rich people probably feel more lonely. And often enough, you probably go look for rich for rich people like yourself, but then you're reminded how you're reminded because you see how miserable they are or how sad and how lonely they are because of their wealth. So it makes you probably makes you more lonely than you realize. But often there are people you don't know they're rich. They still do things for themselves. They still drive themselves around. They don't. Some people, there are people who don't buy fantastic cars. They don't need that butler or that maid or that extra mansion. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's better not to live so rich. Who knows? But I don't know that because I'm not rich. And a lot of other people that I know are not rich. But the reason why I'm talking about this is because The the readings here, the apostles wanted to know who was the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus talks about causing little children to sin. Whoever causes, whoever causes, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the, in the depths of the sea. Often, I believe, um, it's not always the case, but sin, sexual sin is an idolatry. And often, sometimes... People who are rich indulge, but not everybody who's rich indulges in pornography. You don't, we all know that you don't have to be rich to indulge in pornography. You could be a person who is just attracted to it, uses it as entertainment. And that is a problem, especially when you have power. Uh, Jesus here is talking about power, power of leadership. And leadership brings a lot of temptations with it. It's true. We all know that. It could be a leadership in the family. You don't necessarily have to be a father or a mother. You could be the older brother or the older sister. You could be the uncle. You could be also a leader within a community, 
The religious community, obviously, has a lot of power with it. People look to you to make certain choices. They look to you for certain spiritual guidance, especially within a religious community. And often, people with leadership roles have a certain position or have certain, um, I guess you can say, indulgences, maybe. You have access to things. But often it comes with certain temptations. And that's what happens here. And so he mentions causing a little child to sin. And he says, it's better for you to have a millstone. A millstone is what you used to grind the flour, uh, the grain. Uh, it would have like a, it's a round stone, looks like a wheel. And often it would have a, um, a stick over it uh, in one end, a, like a handle, and you would turn it around. And there would be a hole in the center where the grain or whatever, the flour or the grain or the corn would go, and it would be ground up into a mill, into um, a powdery mill where you can make bread or certain other things. Well, he says it's better that you would have that tied around your neck than, ha than face him on the day of judgment. you better off to be drowned in the middle of the sea. That's a serious, serious um, statement right there by Christ. So, you know, people who have certain positions, whether they're rich or positions of leadership, a leadership is, is, is a very powerful thing and it's a very rich thing because you hold a position, you hold power over people. Spiritual power, especially within the community, like a priest or a bishop, can bring temptation. And the devil, we have to remember, we have to remember that the devil is real. And the devil loves to see religious people fall. Especially when a certain group of religious people overindulge within uh, their society because of their position. Last episode, I read about the German bishops, what the German bishops did. They are rich and powerful, but they have money because of their position in the country through a tax system, through the German tax system. They receive the tithing through the tax system. And this has put them in a very rich, powerful position. This had put them in a very compromising position. Now, the Washington Post, which was the article we read over this, I want to review over the problem, makes a mention about their progressive movements, but it also makes a side mention over the sexual scandals that hound the German Catholic Church seven decades seven decades. But the German bishops are not focusing about on evangelization or repentance or fixing the sin. No. Instead, they want to find a way to ease their conscience and keep their temptations. Homosexuality, 
gay marriage, divorce and remarriage, people living outside of marriage. They call it the old days are over. Notice what they're doing. The old days are over. They want to have the position of being Catholic. Is as Saint Paul said. They deny the power of they deny the power of religion while keeping the appearance of religion. Now, a counter argument comes from LifeSite News, where it makes mention to the failure of the Washington Post, pointing to the fact that why would you hold the German Catholic Church as an example of, pro of a progressive model when you know quite well that they have this horrible cloud of sexual abuse, 3,600, but it's actually quite more going back seven decades. Remember, seven decades of sexual abuse scandal. And you're holding the German Catholic Church up as a model, but you also make mention of another problem, an epidemic, their access to wealth. There's a desperation. The article makes it quite clear. It seems to hint at a desperation on trying to save what they have, of trying to deal with this, with this crisis, because there's a possibility that the political arena, the tides are turning. They have been losing people, not just 200,000, possibly 500,000, maybe up to millions of Germans have abandoned the Catholic Church because of credibility. Now, if you have abandoned the Catholic Church, would you want your tax money to be going to the Catholic bishops? No. Now, if there's millions of you not just hundreds of thousands, millions. Sooner or later, you're going to campaign to whatever politician represents, represents your political party, to campaign to change that. I believe that is what's motivating the German bishops. So they've got to do something about this. But instead of evangelization, instead of doing following the footsteps of the bishops in Africa, which the article in LifeSite News makes mention that they have a 250% positive results in Africa, the Catholic Church, the German bishops focus on materialism, on popular things. Basically, like I said in the last episode, a facelift, a Botox shot, a whole remake instead of the gospel of Jesus Christ, instead of repentance of sins, especially on the part of the German bishops. It's really, um, it's quite sad and it's very troublesome. You know, Jesus said in that passage, if something is causing you to sin, whether it's your right arm or your foot or your eye, anything around you that causes you to sin, you have to cut it off. You have to uh, stop what you're doing in order that you can be a member of his body so you can have access of grace. You can have access 
to the grace that comes through Christ, through the sacraments. These men don't want to do that. I mean, we already seen here in America, um, our, our bishops, our cardinals, our uh, leaders, they don't want to cut off their relationship with politicians. They don't want to cut off their relationship with people who have money. In their minds, they don't want to make the choice. Dolan passes the buck to you, the, the layperson, the political layperson, to decide to receive communion and not to receive communion. Cardinal Dolan doesn't want to take the leadership upon himself. He'd rather you do it and you you be guilty of it. He's passing the buck instead of being the bishop. I mean, think about it. You chose to be consecrated. You chose to be a priest. You chose to go to, to climb high in the church. And you don't want to, you don't want to lay down the law as a shepherd. Oh, it's not for me to make. It's for you. You, know, you better make that choice. You are the one that has to make that choice, not me. It's, you know, he's a coward. God forgive me. He's a coward. He's a blubbering coward. He doesn't want to be a shepherd. And that's what kills me. I'm sorry. He, someone like that gets to me a lot. Then you have Bishop Barron, who stands before Congress or the Senate, says a prayer, never opens up in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, never enter, ends the prayer in Jesus Christ's name or in the sign of the cross. Instead, he ends it universally. It's amazing. They're ashamed of the gospel. They're ashamed of Jesus Christ. And it's sad. It's just terribly sad. You know, the the priest down south in South Carolina at St. Anthony's Catholic Church stands up and does not give Joe Biden communion. Dolan up here north, pray, uh, you know, co you know, admits that the priest did his job, but at the same time admits that he says that I don't want to judge him, but I think it was rash. Then he says he would have talked to people on the side. He doesn't have that guts. He has more energy to stand with the Rockettes than he does in actually being a minister. I'm sorry. He puts more effort to show up to take photo shoots with the Rockettes. We've seen that. And he doesn't have any bravery or guts to stand up to politicians like Cuomo. No, they they would never he, men like him don't do that. I mean seriously, Donald Worrell, remember the episode about the lesbian, um, lesbian Buddhist, where the priest refused to give the lesbian Buddhist in the capital in the the Immaculate Conception refuses to give her Holy Communion, and Donald Worrell comes down on the priest and literally removes the priest from ministry. There you go. That's the symptom. That's the symptom that we have. This is the kind of men who we have in the leadership. And they, they're, they're the Jesus that they preach. This is the counterfeit church. What I mean by is it's the counterfeit church that they are creating. There's only one Catholic church. There's only one church. 
And Jesus Christ set that up. But there can be a counterfeit church within it, within that system. And these men are creating it. And this is what we have to face up against. We, as the church militants, the people here on earth, have to start changing the culture. We have to be the Catholic Church. We have to stand by good bishops. We have to stand by good priests. We have to. I know it's hard. I don't know where to go other than St. Agnes for a Catholic Mass, but I can't go there every day. So I have to pray that maybe our Lord can provide us more priests and more bishops who are willing to set up the Catholic, uh, set up the, the Trinitine Mass. I think we have to look at this. We also have to examine our past leaders. Recently, um, it, you know, it came out that people like Pope Benedict XVI weren't as conservative as we might have thought they were. And people, men like John Paul II, Pope John Paul II, was not the arch-conservative as we may have thought. These men came out of the school of the new theology. And the new theology is exactly what it means. Back in 1963, the Second Vatican Council, there was a group of young, young men, young intellectuals who decided that they wanted to get rid of the old guard, the old theology of the Catholic Church, and come up with a new theology that's more exciting and more to their liking. Now, some of them, even within, like, say, politics, sometimes you, even though a party has its traditions of being, let's say, leaning to the right or leaning to the left, there are others who can be, in a sense, what you call traditionalists within that group. The same thing with theology. In the new theology, John Paul II and Benedict XVI were considered more the conservative. Now, other particular groups, let's say, within the new theology, like, say, Father James Martin and other particular Jesuits or priests or cardinals and bishops, can also be looked on as the liberal side of that theology, like Pope Francis with Pachimama and with Buddhism. Pope John Paul tried leaning that direction in the Assisi prayer, and he regretted it, especially when a statue of Buddha was placed in the tabernacle or on the tabernacle in Assisi. He then later on had it consecrated or purified because of that terrible incident that happened. He's considered the conservative side of the new theology. Not enough to go back to Latin, Enough that maybe the new the new mass can be said in Latin. That's how these men think, and that's always been that way. But in people like Bishop Robert Barron, they would never go to Latin. They would never do that. They only, you know, in his mind, he probably believes he's the conservative just conservative, moderate. So you have to understand, even within a certain group, a certain movement, you're going to have those who are more extreme and you're going to have those who are more moderate and you're going to have those within that safe movement a little bit more conservative to some other people's tastes. And that's the problem we have. Um, for example, like John Paul II and Benedict would never go 
lean towards homosexual marriage, gay marriage. Uh, Pope Benedict, or I'm saying Pope Francis, would probably be what he considers more moderate choice to that to that particular view. It's it's funny, but this is this is the, this is the kind of thing we have to deal with, unfortunately, and this is the kind of men that we have within the Catholic Church now. Now that we see people like Pope Francis, where he stands, Pope Benedict, where he stands, and in other particular groups, how they, how, you know, which which side they lean on. Now we are considered the trats. <laughs> it's a new it's a new name that's given the the traditionalist uh, group, the group that goes to the classical teaching, goes to traditional Catholicism, goes through traditional catechism. Now people like us are coming more and more to the light. It's making people like Robert Barron very unhappy. The problem is how much, uh, how much will this movement, uh, how much power will this movement have? Will we have more bishops and cardinals that will have give us access to the Latin Mass, or we will have uh, in New York City because New York City unfortunately is not that friendly to traditional Catholicism. So we're going to have to see where exactly we we're heading in this. It's a it's a very difficult um, topic because we don't know we don't know when you know where you know who's going to be our leader, who's going to be our bishop, what priests are we going to have. What access to what parish are we going to have? That's the problem. It's It may start a serious problem. Now, Pope Francis just gave a letter through his own uh, uh, papal nuncio, papal ambassador to the United States, at one of the bishop conferences. Basically, he's laying down the rule. He's the new boss in town. And he wants them to fulfill and implement his magisterium, his teachings. He wants the bishops in America to prove themselves to him and give him, um, you know, give him results with his new theology. He's coming down hard on, on, on the American Catholic Church. He's not a friend to Americans and he's not a friend to American Catholics, but because he knows that the American Catholics, the conservatives, have stopped sending money and his Vatican Bank is starting to feel it. So he's dumb. He's dumbing down. He's getting. He's getting a little more rough on the new on on the American on the American Catholic Church, and we have to see exactly how much, you know, how much how far is this battle going to is going to continue. That's the scary part. So I'm going to end this episode with a prayer from Christ the King, and I'm going to try to read that letter. Uh, Pope Francis in another episode. Um, maybe not all of it. I don't know how much of it I'll read. It can be a little boring, those letters, but uh, we'll see exactly because what, how much pressure does he want to give? Uh, how far is he willing to take this with the Catholic Church? Because he's not happy with the movement in America, um, especially after the, the results with that Pachimama and the uh, the fact that also now he knows there are conservatives in Europe that are dumping down on him, that are in a sense are are putting pressure 
that he uh, there's some people who want him to resign. I don't think it's a good idea to have him resign. I think he's a test for us as Catholics. We have to be faithful and we have to endure him, endure this man. And, and then we have to wait and see what the next one's going to be. Because his actions may cause certain bishops to become conservative. You have to understand, it can happen that way. That could be the reason why, <clears throat> excuse me, he's around. That Christ is going to use him, he use his liberal leanings. And the bad result of his liberal leading, leanings to cause others to second guess their direction. We'll have to wait and see. So, uh, prayer to Christ the King. O Christ Jesus, I acknowledge thee, King of the universe, and all that has been created has been made for thee. Exercise over me all thy sovereign rights. Renew, I renew the promises of my baptism. I renounce Satan, all his works, and all his palms. And I promise to live a good Christian life and to do all in my power to procure the triumphs of the rights of God and thy church. Divine heart of Jesus, I offer thee my poor efforts in order to obtain that all hearts may acknowledge, acknowledge thee thy, and thy sacred royalty, and that thus the kingdom of thy peace may be established throughout the universe. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. So we'll get back in another episode soon. God bless.